Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Hi, I'm Irene Watson, Managing Editor of Reader Views in Austin, Texas. And I'm Victor Volkman from Loving Healing Press in Ann Arbor, Michigan. You can hear our show every Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. Tonight's topic is Regional Writing Tips and Techniques, and our special guest who will be joining us this hour is Tyler Tischler of Marquette Fiction. You can learn more about our guests on the Authors Access website, which is authorsaccess.com. Coming soon, our podcast will be heard live on a new radio station, authorsview.com. Please check our website for updates. Now, tonight we have on the line author and publisher Tyler Tischler. Tyler holds a master's degree from Northern Michigan University and a Ph.D. from Western Michigan University. His family's long relationship with Upper Michigan and his avid interest in genealogy inspired Dr. Tischler to write his Marquette trilogy about his hometown. Along the way, he has become an acknowledged expert on regional writing. Tyler will be speaking with us about what regional writing is and how you can take advantage of regional markets. We'll also talk about key ingredients for success in regional fiction and how you can get started in this fun and challenging genre. Now, Tyler's trilogy covers 150 years of Marquette, Michigan's history, from the town's founding in 1849 through its sesquicentennial celebrations in 1999. The titles in the trilogy are Iron Pioneers, number two, The Queen City, and soon to be released, number three, Superior Heritage. Tyler hopes his writing stimulates others to seek out and gain strength from their own family stories and the courage and uniqueness of the people who came before them. You can learn more about him at www.marquettefiction.com. And now we're going to go to this week's special guest, Tyler Tischler. Good evening to you, Tyler. Good evening, Victor. Hello, Irene. Um, I want to thank you so much for having me be on the program. I've um, really enjoyed listening to all the other Authors Access interviews that have preceded me, and I feel very privileged to be with such a gust company, and I hope um, that my talk will be as interesting and informative for your listeners as the talks that came before it. Um, I want to start out by just making a few points about regional writing, um, what I think are really the important aspects of creating effective regional literature. First, I want to say that I think regional writing can be successful as long as you have a few key um, elements in it. When I started out writing my books and telling people that I was writing about Upper Michigan, I got some people that responded to me by saying things along the lines of, well, do you think anybody's going to want to read about Marquette, Michigan, or about the UP? And my response was, well, we read books all the time that are set in you know, Los Angeles or London or Paris or Australia, places that we may never have even visited. But you know, we don't think anything about it. We read those books anyway. So why not read a book set in Upper Michigan? Um, secondly, I think a reader, um, a regional writer actually, may find they have a larger audience than a writer who is just writing uh, another type of fiction, like a mystery novel or a romance. Um, people in your area that you write about are, you have a, are a built-in audience right there for you. Um, there's not a lot of novels already that have been set in Upper Michigan, so I think mine are um, unique in that way. And I think that that really appeals to readers, that they want to read about the area that they're familiar with. So you really have a built-in audience right there in your hometown or your, you know, your county or your state. And um, next, I just want to give a little bit of a definition of what I think 
uh, regional writing really is. Just because a book is set in New York doesn't necessarily mean it's a regional book about New York. Regional writing differentiates itself from other fiction, I think, because it emphasizes what is specifically unique about that region. And really, the, um, the whole history of American literature is an attempt to create regional fiction. The earliest American writers like um, James Fenimore Cooper and Nathaniel Hawthorne, for example, they set their stories um, in American settings. They wanted to divorce the writing from the books that were coming out of England. And for me personally, the best um, example of a regional writer, really the one that's had the biggest influence on me, was um, Willa Cather. And I think her novel, O Pioneers, is just a really wonderful example of what regional writing can be. And what she does there is she makes the land really the protagonist of the book. And I think that that is really what distinguishes regional writing from just writing with a specific setting, that the, that the region becomes the protagonist of the book. Um, third, I wanted to say that... Um, I'm from Upper Michigan, and I know that area the best. So what you really want to do is write about the area that you know the best. And it's, it's common knowledge to tell writers to um, write what they know, and that's really a real advantage for regional writers. And then my fourth point, and the last point I'm going to make here, um, beyond the setting being the protagonist of the piece, is that you really need to figure out what it is about that setting that makes it the real protagonist or the hero of the work. And for me, what I, what I would suggest is that you catalog the area or, or you catalog the interesting attributes of the area. Um, because I know Upper Michigan so well, um, you know, that's what I really did. And it, it wasn't really just about the buildings or um, the history of the area that I found so interesting, but actually, um, I went back and I thought about my memories of the area, the different experiences that I'd had, and specifically the sensory experiences um, that I had about the region and the strengths and the weaknesses of the region. Uh, for example, um, in Upper Michigan, we have these beautiful autumns. The, the fall colors are just incredible here. We have breathtaking scenery. We have just spectacular views of the Great Lakes. Um, these wonderful snowfalls, it's just a winter wonderland up here all winter long. Um, but then we also have some, um, some downfalls in the area as well. Um, we have days when the wind chill is 40 below zero in the winter. And there's days when we get 300, in, or not days specifically, but winters when we get 300 inches of snow. I mean, imagine, you know, coming home from work every evening and finding a foot of snow in your yard that you have to shovel out, and it, it can be very frustrating. And um, another major issue that we have here is, you know, the economy. There's, a, there's not a great number of really well-paying jobs in the area, and um, that, that is a real struggle for people here. I don't think there's anybody that lives in Upper Michigan who hasn't at some point considered leaving the area. Um, I, I really think it's a, you know, a real decision that everybody has had to make, whether to stay here or not. And people like myself... Um, you know, I actually did leave the area for many years thinking I was going to find something better somewhere else and then just felt homesick and decided to come back home. 
So, um, you know, just detailing what are the strengths and weaknesses of that area that you're going to write about, and um, especially what are those sensory experiences that you've had in that area. And so um, just to finish up here, I wanted to um, read a passage from my third book, Superior Heritage, which I think will describe those sensory um, experiences that a character has or, or that a person has that they can use for their their writing. And um, the reason I want to read this short pa passage is because the protagonist in my book is really a little bit like me in that he um, has left the area and now he's moving back to Upper Michigan and he's wanting to write about the area and he's, he's doing exactly what I'm saying um, is good advice for people that want to write regional fiction. He's starting to catalog the sensory experiences that he's had in his writing. So I'll just read this short passage. It's from my third book, Superior Heritage. As autumn approached, John became aware again of the Upper Peninsula special environment. That year, the autumn colors appeared more brilliant than he had remembered them in past years. In the mornings, the smell of rotting leaves gripped his nostrils with a comforting feeling he had not known since his childhood's countless autumn walks with his dog. The sunlight sparkling on orange and yellow foliage reawoke a sensitivity to light and color he had long forgotten. Soon the snow would come with its blinding reflections, its cold, its white wonderland possibilities. One evening he heard the harmonious honking of the Canadian geese on their southern flight. He looked up into the cold northern sky as darkness spread across it. Quickly he tried to count the V of geese, 26, 27. He was not quite sure how many, but they were a miracle. His senses had reawakened to the voices of birds in the wind, the beauty of leaves in the lake, the smell of snow and an approaching rain shower, the taste of blueberries, the bitter cold biting at his cheeks and fingertips. The singular elements of this land began to mold his imagination, to heighten his senses and his aesthetic appreciation. He had been isolated from nature's powerful influence while downstate. If he moved away again, he would not have this oneness with his environment that was so essential to his writing. He refused to let himself again forget these little details that made life so splendid. This land had shaped seven generations of his family until it had seeped into his being, claiming him as its native son. So, you know, I think that passage reflects really this strong connection that the character feels with the land, um, you know, how the, the region is really a protagonist, um, in the story or almost like another character that the people that live there are having this relationship with. So, you know, I think making the region a protagonist and the sensory details are really the, the two things that have been most important, at least for me, in creating regional fiction. I'm, um, if I'm listening to you and I listen to what you had to say or when you were reading, and I closed my eyes, and it was just so vivid because being a northerner myself at one point, I could just feel myself with those, you know, going into that area. And so how important is that really to create something for the reader to just be able to go into that area? They may have never been there before. They could be from a totally different, you know, you're talking about Upper Michigan. They could be from California. But what I'm hearing is that it's so important to write and so descriptive so that the person can really feel that they're there in that story. Now, 
that takes some creative writing. And so I would like you to go into that and just talk a little about creative writing for regional fiction. Well, I think you're absolutely right. You need to um, really imagine what it would be like to be that person. Put yourself in the, the shoes of that character. And being from Upper Michigan myself, I, I, I found that easy enough to do in some respects, not in all respects. Um, as Victor said, my books are historical fiction as well. And so I, I started out writing about Marquette being founded back in 1849 and moving forward almost to the present day. And so um, in doing that, I really had to imagine what it was like to be every single character in those books and what their specific experiences would have been in this area, you know, whether it was in, you know, 1850 or, or 1950 or, or later. Um, and so you really want to put yourself almost like place yourself in the eyes of that character and what they're seeing as they're coming, you know, across on a boat across Lake Superior to um, this this land where they're going to build this village and there's nothing there but trees and you know what an assault on the senses that would have been if you had just come say from the busy streets of Boston with um, which my first character in the book does she and her husband have just left Boston it's 1849. They come to Upper Michigan, and there's nothing there but trees and the water and a couple fishing shanties that they're going to live in. And um, so I, I think you really need to imagine what it is to be each of those characters. Yeah, I think that really captures it. Uh, you know, Tyler, when you started off, you were reading, you know, a litany of great American authors like Hawthorne and so on, and I, my mind meant immediately to Mark Twain, who... A lot of people consider, you know, the inventor of local color, which brings me to my uh, question. Now, uh, every region has, you know, unique language and customs. Is there a balance that you have to strike in order to make something uh, localized but still accessible to people who don't have that cultural experience? Yeah, I, I think absolutely. And um, the name isn't coming to my mind, but I know Mark Twain himself was very much influenced by some local writers prior to him, some people that used local color. And if you go back and you read some of those really early local color works from the mid-1800s, they put a lot of emphasis on dialect. And I think that that's a real turnoff to readers today. And so in writing my books, I really, you know, I, I play around with the language a little bit for some of the characters, the dialect. It's, it's kind of hard not to, especially in the first book where you're talking about a lot of people who are coming to this area who are really immigrants from Europe. Um, I have characters who are from Germany. There's lots of Finnish immigrants who came here to Upper Michigan. Um, I have Italian characters, Irish characters. And, you know, you do have to take into account that these people, English wasn't their first language, so there is that dialect issue there. But at the same time, you want to make the book um, realistic to the readers that they're aware that there was this language barrier for these characters, but you don't want the dialect to be so so detailed and complicated that you know it really slows the reader down from the plot or from just making sense of it because they're they're getting divorced from the the flow of the story because they're trying to figure out just what that character is trying to say. Right. Yeah, I, I, it makes complete sense. 
I was just thinking this isn't specifically related to to regional fiction, but in terms of historical fiction, um, how do you go describing to a, an audience born after the birth of the internet? You know, how do things like telegrams work, and um, and how do people wash clothes? Do you spend a lot of time in in the background of these details, or how do you introduce them? I think you really want to do um, the best you can as far as researching those sorts of things and understanding them for yourself. Um, and then you really want to almost dumb it down to the point where it can be very easy for the, the reader to understand. I, I think the reader is probably going to be more interested in understanding that, you know, grandma had to wash, wash clothes with a washboard. I don't know that they really want to know the very details of how to use a washboard. And um, specifically for my books, because Upper Michigan was largely settled because um, iron ore was discovered up here, and so they thought that this was going to become this huge um, industrial mecca area, which it never actually did become. But um, I had to do a lot of research about the iron ore industry and the, um, the building of the railroads and the shipping and how they actually transported the ore from Upper Michigan onto these ships, and then down to, um, you know, Pittsburgh or to Buffalo or, you know, places where they would turn it into steel and make, you know, cannons or bullets during the Civil War, that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time trying to understand that whole process, and I don't know that I ever really completely did myself, but. Um, in, in writing the novel, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't, um, you know, having any historical inaccuracies. And nobody has told me I have so far, so that's probably a good sign. And I just, um, you know, tried to explain the process as much as, as possible and yet leave all the details just kind of in the background there for the reader to imagine. Yeah, I get it. It's sort of like broad brush strokes, and you can just introduce a detail at a time, you know, without right. swamping them. <laughs> Exactly. I'm yeah, I mean, if they really want to know about the history of iron ore, they can read a history book. Um, I'm hoping mine. I'm I'm hoping my books rather, um, you know, make them interested in history, and and also make them understand what it was like to live in that historical period. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I'm interested in uh, specifically what kind of traps do you run in into with dealing with your own family history. Well, I, I mean, I did use some some family stories in the books. Um, you know, for the most part, um, I I would change. Of course, you change names, you change stories. No no character I think is ever really based on one historical person. Um, and I I was reading a lot of interviews of Willa Cathers at the time that I was writing, and, and she talks about how all of her characters are made up of like two or three different people. And I can honestly say that, you know, going back to that earlier question where I, I was saying that you had to really see everything through the eyes of your characters, um, really every character in my book is me on, on some level. I could really imagine myself being that character and doing those things that that character is doing if I was in those specific circumstances. And, you know, I may know the basic details of, of historical people in my family, but I don't really know what it was like to be in their minds and to understand what their lives were from day to day. I, you know, I really just had to imagine all that. Sure, I have some 
you know, some diaries or some letters that have been passed down for a few generations that I can go back and look at. But really, you kind of have to um, just imagine what it is like yourself to be that person. Tyler, and, you had um, to... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, the one other thing I was going to say is that there are members of my family who, in um, researching my family tree, I really couldn't find a whole lot of information about and so I just would decide to make up stories about them, kind of imagine what great-grandpa might have been like. And that was actually a lot more fun than trying to stick to the actual facts of the historical people. Well, that kind of goes into my uh, next question to you, Tyler. Earlier, you had talked about research and that you, have done, you had done a lot of re research for your book. And I'm... My question to you is, is, how important is the accuracy when you are writing regional fiction? How much, you know, how, how much of an author's license do you have to embellish the, let's say, the history or embellish the area? How, what do you do in cases like that? When you do write fiction, about, you know, just fiction in general, you can embellish it as much as you want to. But when it comes to regional, what really happens there? Well, I think if you're writing regional fiction especially, you have to be careful because you're going to meet people that are going to tell you that things are not necessarily accurate if you're not, if you're not careful about how you depict it. And I think what you have to do somewhat is be a little bit vague in some respects. Um, you know, I have maps of the city of Marquette that I, I keep near my desk to refer to when I'm writing my book so I know how many blocks you know, a character may have to walk from one house to another house. And I may say a character lives on a specific street, but I don't, um, you know, detail specifically what block or what house I'm imagining them living in. You know, just to give yourself a little bit of, of leeway there. Um, as far as historical details, I think you want to also be, you know, as accurate as possible. I would say if you're not sure about something, just um, really stay away from it is, is, I guess, probably the best um, the best advice I would give. So basically what I'm hearing you say is, even though it is fiction, there needs to be really a lot of nonfiction, especially when it comes to regional writing. Uh, so now, what seems to be the trend right now in regional writing? Is it fiction or is it nonfiction? Um, I, I think it's a little bit of both. It's, it's probably... Um, evens out, I would say. I, I you know, I, I think regional writing um, that isn't fiction, I guess I tend to think of as more along the lines of either history books or, or travel books, tourist um, material about, um, about the area. I mean, I could easily write my memoir about growing up in Upper Michigan, and that would be um, nonfiction. In, in terms of um, writing about your family specifically, you know, I think you're safer to write fiction because you're gonna you're going to fictionalize lots of things, and you don't want to really tell everything as it was anyway in your community. Especially if you live in the area that you're writing about, you want to give yourself a little bit of security there. And claim it as nonfiction. Or pardon me, claim it as fiction. <laughs> claim it as fiction. Yeah. So, are people, the readers, are they more interested in? the current regional time, or are they more interested in historical fiction? Well, I, all of my books are really historical that I've written so far, so I haven't gotten a whole lot of a response to books that are set in the current time. Um, but 
my intention is to is in the future to write more about the area in the current day, you know, at least in the 21st century. Um, I think it's a little bit more difficult if you want to write regional fiction to write it about the existing period, whereas you have a little bit more license with it being historical. It's um, you know that you may come upon topics that are a little bit more um, a hotter topic in the current day than if you're writing about something that maybe was a huge scandal in the community, but it happened a hundred years ago. So it really interests people that this happened, but you're not going to you know, ruffle anybody's feathers by discussing it. And that's, uh, you know, if you're going to live in that uh, area that you're writing about, it's best not to ruffle feathers, feathers at times. So what uh, kind of reception have you received from the locals when you are writing about the area that they have probably been born in and know all about it, and all of a sudden they pick up your book? What reactions do people have? Well, really, I've just had an incredibly wonderful response to the books. Um, I, I don't think I've gotten really any negative comments at all. And I, you know, I've, I've just been overwhelmed by how excited people have been about them. I mean, the first two books have come out now, and they cover from the founding of the town up to 1949. The third book that will come out next month will actually be more in the, you know, the living memory of people in the area. Um, some, just some of the comments that I get are people telling me, well, they, you know, they never really paid much attention to the area. They, you know, they lived here all their lives, but they never really thought about how those buildings got there on that street or what the, you know, what the stories are behind those. And I, part of me doesn't really understand that because I always grew up being very interested in the history of the town and, you know, why the, um, why the area is the way it is. And I was, I was very lucky to grow up with a very large extended family and um, especially have lots of grandparents and great aunts and uncles who had um, lived here for a long time. And I'm, I'm actually a seventh generation resident of the town. So, you know, my grandfather would tell me stories that his grandfather told him, um, which, you know, I've, I've used in the books. And I guess I, I just assumed that everybody had this shared cultural background from living here. And it's really surprising to me how many people don't know as much about the area. But my books are really, um, in that way, I think, really educating them about how unique and special the area is and how, um, how rich its history is. Um, you know, I, I think the best compliments I've gotten are people saying they now, they drive through the streets of Marquette and they actually look at the buildings and they imagine my characters walking down the streets and what those streets would have looked like back in, say, you know, 1876 when my character Madeline is, you know, walking down the street with her boyfriend or, you know, things along those lines. And I'd like to remind people you are listening to Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. Tonight's topic is regional writing tips and techniques, and our special guest this hour is Tyler Tischler. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. Uh, Tyler, I had a question. Um, I'm thinking that a lot of regional writing is actually probably two genres, such as regional mysteries or regional romance. Do you have any uh, any suggestions about about those particular types of genres? Um, I specifically tend to write um, regional historical fiction. There are some other um, authors I know of that write regional mysteries um, 
or or regional romances. Um, I think romances probably tend to be written um, in specific kinds of areas. Uh, I mean, you'd probably want your romance novel to be set in Paris more likely than um, you know in a desert. I imagine um, mysteries. You know, same thing. You have to, you really have to pick the region that you think is going to be uh, most appropriate for the area. There have been some mystery novels written about. Um, about Upper Michigan. I think really the landscape up here um, is very useful for that. Um, we do have um, some pretty rough winters, and you know, it's I suppose it's very possible that somebody could end up dying out there in a blizzard or in a snowstorm, and you know, fall play could easily come into um, play in a case like that. We've had people who have drowned in Lake Superior. Um, you know, people who fall off cliffs along the lake shore. Um, uh, you know, even recently in the news, there have been stories of of, of a woman who was murdered here because um, she fell off. Of, well, she fell off of a cliff, and they're accusing her husband possibly of murder. So, you know, you you can use the area for that. You just have to figure out what the you know what the elements of the region are that are going to lend to your specific genre that you're writing about. Tyler, did you self-publish your books, or did you have a traditional publisher? Um, I did self-publish them. Um, I did look around for a, a traditional publisher. I think most people that are self-published do start out trying to find a traditional publisher. Um, I got relatively positive responses from the from um, the manuscripts that I sent out to traditional publishers and to literary agents. Um, but um, you know the responses were basically things like, well, we we think it's an interesting topic, but it's, it's just not something specifically for us. And really, I decided I wasn't going to leave it up to a publishing house that might be, you know, in New York, whether or not people here in Upper Michigan are going to read my books, or people interested in Upper Michigan are going to be allowed to read my books. And so that's really why I decided that I was going to self-publish the books. I. Um, I didn't ever think they necessarily would be bestsellers, but I did think I had an audience. I was sure there were people that were going to want to read them, and you know, I just I just really believed in the project, and I spent about seven years writing them, and really felt all the while I was writing them that these are the books that I was meant to write, and it really was a labor of love. I had um, written some other books previously that. I just never felt like I'd really found my voice in writing. I tried to write some science fiction or a mystery novel, but it was really, you know, writing about this region that I knew best that made me um, feel that I had finally something that was really worth publishing and something that I really thought people were going to enjoy. And so I didn't want to pass up the opportunity of not having those books available to the public. So, do you believe that with regional fiction, such as what you have been writing, that the marketing trends would be different than if it was non-regional fiction? Well, I th yeah, I, I think that you really have a built-in audience right away when you start out. Um, you know, people want to read about people that are like themselves, and people want to read about, um, you know, the place that they live in and feel that their lives are important and that their area that they live in is important. And um, I think that's why I've gotten such a good response from people in the area here in Upper Michigan, that they 
you know, they really like the fact that somebody is writing a history of this area, not just a not just a history book, but sort of um, raising it to the next level by saying that these are not just historical stories, but they're really about life experiences in this region, and um, you know how how important their lives are, and and by using the history, going back and showing not not just themselves, but you know their parents, their grandparents, their great grandparents who founded this area, and that they're very proud of the region, and so you know they're going to want to read about it. Tyler, I've got another question. Uh, in terms of of planning out a trilogy, it seems like a big logistical task. What kind of advice would you have for someone who who is intent on going forward with a trilogy in, in terms of planning and pacing and story arcs and so on? Well, I, it's for me, it was kind of a learn-as-you-go process. Um, I guess it would partly depend on what kind of a time frame you want to cover in your trilogy. If it's you know, if it's going to take place over maybe just a couple months or, you know, a couple years, uh, you probably have less of a problem than, like myself, you're going to cover 150 years. Um, I started out thinking I was going to write one book, and it was probably going to be maybe 300 pages. I ended up with three books that each run around 470, 480 pages. Um, the other, the probably the biggest thing that I would say is, write all of them before you start to publish them, which I, I was fortunate enough to do because I, I would start and write a part and then go back and write a section for another book and link them all together. And, you know, if I had published, if I'd written just the first one and published it and then waited and started on the second and the third one, I couldn't have gone back to the first one and changed things or adjust them as needed. So I really think it was a benefit to me to have all three of them written before I began to publish them. Um, and I myself, I've tried to have them come out roughly every six or seven months apart just so that I keep the momentum up. I, I know lots of people have told me, well, you know, they, they want to read them, but they're not going to buy them until the third <laughs> one comes out because they want to read them all together. Yeah. I, 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 I myself would hate waiting three or four years to read the sequel to a book. And yeah, one other thing I would kinds. one other thing I would suggest is um, for myself, having already been very much interested in genealogy, I, I had a genealogy program on my computer, and I actually used that to keep track of all my characters. I don't know how else I would have done it because I had to keep track of who was born when, who married who, um, how everybody is related to each other, and having that genealogy program was just a you know, a real godsend to keep track of all that information for me. Right, because the last thing you want to do is make a mistake uh, one book later. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Out, right? Uh, so since you're self-published, obviously you have to be entrepreneurial. I'm just wondering how you utilize the uh, resources in your own region to, you know, get books placed in bookstores or covered in the newspaper or maybe you talk to local tourism boards or just give us an idea of the, the whole palette that you use. Well, um, most, of the, most of the stores in the area were um, interested in carrying the book. Um, and I don't think it's, it's necessarily just the bookstores that you want to tackle. I, um, I would say a good number of my books, maybe half or better, are sold in the bookstores. But 
I spend a lot of time going to the local um, the gift shops, um, lots of the historical museums. We have a um, maritime museum here. We have a county historical museum here. We have a um, the, the U.S. National Ski Hall of Fame is here. So um, museums that are tied into history, tied into the region, tourism are, are good places. They usually have gift shops and they can they can sell your books for you. Um, you know, lots of the gift shops, especially on the main streets of the town where the tourists are going to be walking, you want to um, have your books in there. I, I think, um, you know, I've, I've mostly been talking about what the response is here in the area, but I think, you know, visitors to your area, especially if you're in a high tourist area, the people are on vacation and they're interested in the area, they're going to want to read about it. And so you want to have your book in those, in those tourist-centered spots. Um, you know, I've, I have given a couple talks to different groups in the area as well. Um, I've gone to the local craft shows here in, in Marquette, um, which usually attract people from all over Upper Michigan. Um, so Tyler, in, uh, you, you said it took you six years to write these books? I, I believe that's what you had said. So yeah, so, yeah, about six years. Six years. So you've been writing for quite some time, and then finally you got it, uh, your first book published and your second book published, and now you're on to your third one. So in all these, this time, from the time that you got the idea, what was your biggest learning curve in this past six years? Well, I probably spent about two years just doing the research and figuring out how I was going to piece it all together. And probably... Um, the the hardest thing was keeping the motivation to to work on piecing everything together and figuring out where it was going to go. Um, that I would say was the was the biggest challenge in in terms of the of the writing and deciding what I was going to put in the books and what I was going to leave out. Like I said, I was intending to write one book that would be maybe about three hundred pages, and it just kept growing, and I could not possibly include everything in it. There there have been some really interesting things that have happened in upper Michigan history that I just didn't see where it worked into my story. For example, um, uh, President Theodore Roosevelt came to the Upper Peninsula and there was, a, there was a huge court case held here in the Marquette County Courthouse. And I do reference that in my books, but um, you know, I, I didn't actually go into detail in describing that scene because I just didn't see where it fit into the story. So um, you couldn't use everything. You really have to concentrate on what's going to what's going to keep the plot going and the character motivation going. So that was a, um, a big learning experience for me. The, the second one, of course, I think is um, just starting to market the books and try to sell them. I think most writers tend to um, you know, just want to write the book and then think it's done once it's published. And you really have to be a marketing person and be willing to go out there and give talks to, um, to groups and talk to the bookstores and, you know, be a real presence in the, in the community in, in promoting the books. And I, I don't think that's something that's always easy for writers to do, but, um, you know, I've, I've been surprised more than anything at my own um, enthusiasm in doing it and how much fun it really is. It's, it's really um, one of your previous guests, um, John Creamer, he talks a lot about how networking is really just making friends and, you know, really more than anything, that's I've been doing is making friends as I've I've gone through this process of publishing the books and marketing them. 
You're so right. It's that building relationships is what he talks about, and it's so important. And uh, you brought up a good point that the marketing, quite often first-time authors think that writing the book is the hardest, that once they've written the book and it is published, really the hardest is to do the marketing because we, it's very hard to market our own product. So just before we close here, we're unfortunately coming to an end. I know that you've got a lot of just valuable information for our listeners. So what advice do you have for others who want to write about a specific region? If you were going to say one thing that's just totally important, what would it be? Well, you know, the, the most common advice that we always give out, write about what you know. And so if, if you're going to write about that region, write about specifically um, your experiences there. Um, I, th- I think lots of writers, they, they make the mistake of trying to be clever in their writing and trying to show off a little bit or, or trying to impress people to, um, to believe that they're really, you know, a great writer. And really I think what you want to do is just you know, dig down deep inside of you and think about what your experiences have been, what your memories of that area are, um, what kinds of emotions you've felt about different um, experiences that you've had there. And, you know, like the piece that I read from my own book, um, really what those sensory details are, what about that area is really unique and that makes you want to be there or makes you want to experience that area and, and stay in that area. You, you really need to find that quiet place in your heart that mm-hmm. um, that is that that love relationship with that land or that town and and hold that up as as really the key in writing your book. And that is so so important. Gee, gosh, thanks a lot, Tyler, for taking this time and talking about regional writing. I know that we have a lot of listeners that are doing regional writing or wanting to do some. So I know that your information has been a real asset to them. And your uh, website again is marquettefiction.com, A-M-A-R-Q-E-T-T, fiction.com. And thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Irene. Thank you, Victor. And you've been listening to another podcast edition of Authors Access, where authors get published and published authors get successful. You can hear us every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. We'll be back on the air next Thursday when our topic will be Kickstart Your Memoir, and our special guest who will be joining us is Jane Saylor of GrandSchemePress.com. You can learn more about next week's guest on the Authors Access website, which is AuthorsAccess.com. Authors Access is a joint production of Reader Views Incorporated and Loving Healing Press. And for Reader Views, this is Irene Watson of Austin, Texas, signing off. For Loving Healing Press, this is Victor Volkman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, wishing you all a good evening.